Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we walk through the Bible together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along, and if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So, let's get started. Today, we will be putting in at um, Isaiah... Chapter 28, verse 5, and going all the way to chapter 29 down to verse 8. And uh, before we do, just to set this up again, this is Isaiah, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. Israel has been rebelling against God's word for so long uh, that God is bringing judgment on them. The northern kingdom has already uh, been under attack by, or, or soon to be, by the Assyrians. The northern kingdom sometimes is referred to as Ephraim. And then the southern kingdom as the kingdom of Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. And Isaiah is telling uh, the folks in the southern kingdom that your turn is coming and uh, that eventually the Babylonians are going to come in and take you guys prisoners and they're going to be led the northern kingdom as well as the northern kingdom is going to be led into into slavery uh, into captivity over in in assyria and then the southern uh, kingdom the people in the southern kingdom are going to be uh, taken captive into babylonia so bad news is coming because people will not um, repent People will not turn back to God's teaching. And he's telling them it's their pride. Their, their hearts are not uh, centered on God. And uh, just as we, uh, we were looking back last week in chapter 25, verse 11, I, I was just wanting to key on that verse again. And, you know, when judgment is coming down, what's man going to do? He will spread out his hands in the midst of it. This is prideful man. As a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. Haven't you and I tried to swim away from our problems or tried to swim our way through them or tried to uh, rely on our own abilities to swim, our own abilities to you know, keep your head above water or to stay afloat? Or you either sink or you swim. You know, you've heard all those phrases. It all kind of refers to your own efforts, doesn't it? But the Lord, as the swimmer tries to do this, but the Lord will lay low man's, his, man's <clears throat> pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. So look what compared to what uh, man tries to do with his hands to what God will do with his hands. God will bring down pride 
In the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down. He will lay low and cast to the ground to the dust. <clears throat> With God's skill, God's hands, he can, he can set your wrong right. He can keep you afloat much better than you can do on your own. <clears throat> and what God's, God's ability to do here is just as the swimmer tries to let his hands or her hands pass through the water and keep themselves afloat or rely on their own abilities, God's hands can correct all that. God's hand is on everything. And so now we flip back over with sort of that frame of mind. This judgment on Ephraim, the northern kingdom. The proud crown, verse, we'll start in uh, verse 3. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trotted underfoot in the fading flower of its glorious beauty. In other words, the Assyrians are going to come in and invade Ephraim, but it's just, their hearts are just like drunkards. They're not even focused on, on God. They're not focused on what God's will is at all. And as we start up in verse 5 and we contrast, in that day, this is the day of the Lord, in that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory. <clears throat> so the pride, the crown <clears throat> that these people are wearing is their pride. That's their crown. And that crown is going to be traded for another crown. It's the crown of glory, of God's glory in that day. And as McGee says, in that day, the day of the Lord starts with this great tribulation, this great time of of, of suffering where um, the world will suffer as it never has into the, then when God, uh, Jesus Christ, then uh, reestablishes His kingdom and begins this new millennium, this new time of when He um, rules on earth. So, in that day, this the day of the Lord will be like a crown of glory. This will be Instead of man's pride, it's going to be the glory of the Lord. And a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. So those people who believe, those people who, who will hold fast, he's not destroying all of the people. He's destroying just the evil, the sin that exists. So the remnant of people have hope. And a spirit, verse 6, of justice to him who sits in justice and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Okay, so justice will come in, he will sit in judgment, and he will have strength for those who hold on to his word. His word. Verse 7, These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. What a bunch of corruption that was, huh? So, for all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? So you got a bunch of teachers who, and uh, leaders who are just drunk all the time. Are they drunk with wine? Or are they drunk with wine of their own pride? 
Are they drunk with laziness? Are they drunk with preoccupation of money or power or prestige? It's easy to get drunk on all your own agendas, isn't it? And wear the pride, wear the crown of your own pride, of your own self-centeredness, right? But God knows the heart. So verse 10, For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little. For by people of strange lips and foreign tongue the Lord will speak to, to this people to whom He has said. And as, you know, what's He talking about? He's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about precept upon precept. He says it again in verse 13. Let's read it. Well, let's read 13. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. So it's God's word. He's talking about God's word and it's the only way to learn the Lord's Word is to, is to look at it. Precept upon precept. A preceptor is a teacher. Every little precept, every little word of God's Word is there to teach us. Precept upon precept, line after line after line. Here a little, there a little. And that, as McGee's saying, that's the way you learn God's Word is step by step. Learning by staying in the Word. The Word of God is given to us for us to know more about Him. This is the beginning of all wisdom. And if you have a bunch of false teachers or teachers that are drunk on wine, they stumble in giving their judgment, they're swallowed by strong drink, can't learn anything. They may go, then they fall back. Verse 15, Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, this is the grave. We have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. So what's happening to the people now? Instead of the Word of God, instead of the precept by precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, they're just making a covenant with death. They're saying, you know, We'll do anything. We'll sell our souls if we have to. So that the invaders aren't going to come in and, and mess with us. They completely abandon God at all. Every line that is waiting there to save them, they've abandoned. Therefore, thus says the Lord, and Lord God, this is verse 16, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone. <clears throat> in other words, this foundation is God's Word. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. As we see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and then the Word became flesh. Jesus was the Word of God. We have the Word of God, our preceptor, line upon line. <clears throat> to teach us. But now this word has been made a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone. He's been tested. He was tested against all sin, and he was, he was righteous. 
a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is the cornerstone of the church, the church being all the believers who believe in him. And of course, as we studied in Ephesians, through faith we're raised with Christ. We share in his death and then we share in his new his body of Christ, which is his church. He is the foundation stone of the church, his own body, the body of Christ, the believers. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line, righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overwhelm the shelter. Can you imagine all the stuff that you and I have to deal with on a daily basis? Nothing to hang your hat on, so to speak. Nothing to, no, no good foundation. The lies, the injustice. But we have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. We have a tested cornerstone, a tested stone, a foundational stone. A sure foundation, which means the truth. It's sure, it's true. Whoever believes will not be in haste. It won't be, it won't be um, a belief in vain. Why? Because you'll get justice, a righteous plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. I was thinking this morning that look at all the stuff that you and I have to deal with on a daily basis. Everything's either a lie or not true in some way or it's going to never last. It's only temporary, a lie, or something that will just completely deceive you. If it's from the world. And we have to swim in it. We have to swim in it. Just as the swimmer is talking about um, back down in Isaiah 25 tries to swim in the midst of it. Try to keep yourself afloat by the works of your own hands, but look what God's hands can do. So when you're swimming, just remember, think about what God's hands can do. It's His justice. It's His righteousness. It's His plumb line of truth that will sweep away all the lies and everything that the works of your own hands try to put up a shelter. You want to try to trust on your own works or on your own hands? Look down to verse 20. For the bed is too short to stretch one's cell phone and the covering is too narrow to wrap oneself in. This is what your covenant with death will be like. You either make a covenant with death or you make a covenant with the Lord of life. Covenant with death is like stretching out on a bed that's too short and you don't have good covers. It can't do the job. And now, um, verse 29, in uh, verse 23 through 29, it's talking about how God's going to judge one's heart based on a, a metaphor of 
of the different types of grain. Give ear and hear my voice, verse 23. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually to open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dills, sow coming and put wheat in rows and barley in its proper place and emmer as the border? In other words, he plants seeds in a certain way. For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not thresh with a threshing sledge, nor its cart wheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. This is how to separate the, the, the seed from the chaff. It's, it's just how to separate the seed, what you want, from what needs to dis, be discarded. So God's making an analogy of how you separate the, the good from the bad. Does one crush brain for bread? No. He does not crush it forever. When he drives his cart wheel over it with horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. God's going to judge righteously. Just like they would have understood in this time how you harvest the different types of grains. Of course, many of us today don't do that, but this was a specific analogy to them that they would understand it putting it in ways they can understand. And we can understand the metaphor of this. He's going to judge every one of us in a perfect right way. Now, down to chapter 29. Ah, Ariel, Ariel. Ariel is another name for Jerusalem. Uh, it sort of means lion of God. Lion is the crest of the house of David. Uh, altar of God, that's another meaning. Of course, the altar of God was in Jerusalem. This is talking about Jerusalem. I wonder, in ah, that phrase is sort of a, a phrase given in mourning, in time of sorrow. And it doesn't even say Jerusalem. It, it, it just it sort of says it as Ariel. It doesn't even want to want to name it because there's so much sorrow, I think, for it. The city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feasts run their ground, yet I will distress Ariel. Verses verse 2. There shall be moaning and lamentation, again as it talks about siege of Jerusalem here. And she shall be me to me like an Ariel, and I will encamp against you all around, and I will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you, and you will be brought low from the earth. You shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down, and your voice come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. From the dust your speech shall whisper. Ariel, Jerusalem is going to be brought low because they're going to be under siege. And then, just as it's talking about What's going to happen to them? It's going to be talking about God's going to save them. But the multitude, verse 5, of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. In an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquakes and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest, and with the flame of a devouring fire. 
and the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, that all fight against her and her stronghold and distress her shall be like a dream, a vision of the night. And as when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he's eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied, or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking and awakens faint with his thirst not quenched, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So, just like when you dream you're, you're having a great old feast or something like that, and you wake up and you realize you don't have anything. In other words, you realize you're just dreaming. That's going to be what it's like for all these nations that think they're getting the upper hand on God's people, on Jerusalem. But there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a remnant of people that are going to believe in God's Word and God's going to protect them. There's going to be that remnant. So I wonder what we're thinking about today as we look at, at these verses. I wonder how we're processing this. Are, are you trying or am I trying to, to swim on our own skills as we saw back in chapter 25 verse 11 are we gonna are we gonna look at at our own hands to hold us up through all this or trust in our own thinking like Israel did like the house of Judah did are we gonna be that foolish or are we gonna keep our eyes focused on God's word precept by precept line by line those attributes of God meant to teach us, meant to give us instruction. Things to put our trust in, His words rather than man's words. His truth rather than the, the lies that you, you see today based on man's thinking or the, the temporary nature of man are we going to make a covenant with the with the Lord of life or are we going to make a, a covenant with the words of death are you going to look at your own hands or are you going to look at the hands of the Lord what his hands can do his hands remember are the hands that made us he is an active God but He's a God who actively is working His will in this world for His kingdom. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, on earth. So He is working out history. He is working out history for His kingdom and His purposes. Everything in history is occurring for His kingdom and His will. History is not man's doing. History is God's doing. History is not a story of all the different nations doing their own thing. History is a story of God working His will throughout time, throughout the nations, 
throughout the hearts of men and women to complete his purposes, his plan, and his will to serve his kingdom. That's history. That's the the word of God. That's the purpose and the promise that you have. So, I hope this is helpful and encouraging to you. It is to me as we continue to walk through Isaiah. What an what amazing book. You know, you think of it as an Old Testament. Oh, it's just an old-fashioned book. There's more stuff in Isaiah that's talking about the future than probably any book we've studied. You want to look at a forward-thinking book? Look at Isaiah. It's already talking about all kind of prophecies that have come true. It's talking about prophecies of Jesus Christ. All these things about Jesus Christ that have come true, but all these things about Jesus Christ that have not yet come true. It's just as relevant for us today as it was to every year that heard these words when Isaiah uttered them and wrote them down. Jesus paid attention to Isaiah too. He quoted Isaiah very often, as did the the uh, his apostles. Isaiah was the first book of the OT Old Testament that he quoted when Jesus announced his ministry. So, this is a really. Uh, important book for us to to go through so i'm really enjoying it and i hope you are too so for me to all of you god bless you keep your heart centered on christ i'll see you next time now i'll turn the podcast over to my co-host in zambia matali take it away hello so today's teaching begins at isaiah chapter 28 verse 5 all the way to verse 29 and isaiah chapter 29 verse 1 to verse 3 so in the previous chapters we looked at um, prophecies that passed and um, prophecies that are of um, the far distance future and now in this particular section we're looking at prophecies of the immediate future and the far distance that are brought together so uh, we will see um, the fulfillment, which will illustrate, um, you know, the two prophecies um, of the past, um, of the immediate future and the far distance, and which are to be fulfilled. So here in this section, we begin with the six rows of Jerusalem. And, you know, the first wall that we looked at in the beginning of chapter 28 verse 1 which was um the pride of Ephraim that's the the first row the um, which was um the northern kingdom and yeah this northern kingdom was called um Ephraim so Israel and Ephraim are synonymous terms for the 10 tribes of Israel so um Assyria took them down because of the pride that they had so here, um, verse 5 of chapter 28, that's, we, we, that's our starting point, reads, In that day, so that that day that they're talking about is the day of the Lord, that's after the great tribulation and the day the Lord comes and rules earth. So, in that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and 
diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. So here, that day, the day of the Lord, um, you know, it, it, it extends to the millennial kingdom. So what took Ephraim down, as I had mentioned earlier, was the crown of pride. So in that um, future day, when God brings them back, so God will bring back his remnants to the land and it will be a crown of glory. So moving down to scripture, verse 6 reads, For a spirit of justice in him who sits in judgment and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate, but they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink, are out of the way, the priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. So here, um, you know, the priests and the prophetess, or the priests, sorry, um, yeah, and the, and the prophets, you know, have erred in, um, you know, through drink. Drink here, yeah, can be the physical aspect, the intoxicating alcoholic drink, and it can also be the intoxication of pride. They're intoxicated with pride, and they have erred. So here, you know, when a man begins to drink and indulge in sin, he loses his sharpness for whatever he's doing, you know, his focus for business, his focus for work, and, you know, this is the thing that brought the nation of um, Ephraim down, and um, judgment, judgment came upon them. So moving down to scripture, um, verse 8 reads, For all tables are full of vomit and filth, and no place is clean. Because, you know, these people um, in the northern kingdom, they were full of pride, not only pride, the, not only were they intoxicated with, you know, that wine of pride, but also with intoxicating drink. There was filth everywhere. They were living in sin. Verse 9 goes on to read, Him, or who will he teach knowledge, and who will he and who will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breast. So here, you know, the question is asked, who's going to impart knowledge upon these people? Because people, um, you know, the, the, the remnant of God was still young in faith by then. You know, those who are still weaned from milk and those who are drawn from the breast. So we're looking at people who are still acquiring knowledge, the few remnants of God, who will teach these people who are supposed to be you know, experienced veterans in the word of God, the prophets and the priests. So, um, verse 10 goes on to read, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Um, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So here, um, you know, let me just drop down to verse 13, which reads, but the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, um, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and caught. So here, you know, this section here that I just read from verse 8, um, you know, it has many scholars that call Isaiah as the prophet of the commonplace, which is actually true because this prophecy is just for, you know, 
every common person. And, you know, lots of Christians today who are, you know, um, are not satisfied with the lives that they have. And, you know, they are ignorant to the word of God because um, they tend to focus on, you know, so many other things. You know, uh, maybe if I do this, um, I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get a higher salary. I'm going to, you know, they tend to think, you know, if they just take, um, you know, a smaller course, a one-week course, they're going to get more knowledge and, 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 um, you know, their, you know, whatever they seek will be answered. So they will be given the answer to all their problems. And, you know, others think if they can um, have an experience that just, that one experience, one dream, one vision, then um, they are sorted with, um, with their problems. But that is not the case. Um, there is no shortcut to the Christian life. You know, there is no easy way out. And, um, you know, the yoke that Christ gives us is not an easy one to carry. So the word of the Lord uh, was, you know, was under them precept upon precept, line upon line, you know, um, here a little and there a little. So, um, you know, this is how uh, God's word is. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a daily grind, as Dr. Jaden, as you put it. You know, we're supposed to live upon it as our daily bread in order for us to grow in wisdom and grow in knowledge. We're supposed to uh, meditate upon the word of God every day. Ephraim fell back on the word of God because, you know, they were intoxicated with pride and, you know, they felt there were shortcuts to to actually receiving salvation. But that's not the case. So verse 14 goes into read, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scorn for men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. So here uh, God said the judgment is coming to Israel in the north and it should be a warning to Judah in the south and Ephraim speaks to Jerusalem and Jerusalem speaks to you and me today and the word of God speaks to all of us. So, you know, the downfall of Ephraim um, was a warning that God's judgment is upon the nation of Israel and uh, his judgment came down on Ephraim and um, it was a warning to Judah in the south and um, it also spoke to Jerusalem and, you know, we can see what's going on today. Um, God's judgment, um, sometimes it's swift and, you know, on point there and then and sometimes it's gradual. So here um, you can see God's judgment on the nation of Israel, which is gradual. It's been taking place, um, and, you know, there's nowhere else where you can find the accuracy of Scripture than in the Word of God here in the Bible. So verse 15 goes on to read, Because you have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves so here the covenant that is being talked about the covenant with Sheol with death so um, David said that these people will make a covenant with the prince that's coming and the man of sin um, the antichrist so this is the covenant the beast of sin and um, this is the covenant that um, is being spoken about here. What covenant have we made with she or with death? This is, um, you know, when the world turns to believe, um, you know, the prince of lies, the Antichrist. Verse 16 goes on to read, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, 
for a foundation, um, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So here, um, you know, what is the answer to the falsehood, to this uh, covenant of lies that they've made? Um, and um, today, um, you know, when we go into the Great Tribulation, um, only then we'll see, like, um, you know, the true answer is the cornerstone. You know, the answer is the foundation, um, a stone, a trade, um, a trade stone. And if you believe you can rest upon this um, tried stone. So, you know, in First Peter, he made it clear that this stone is Christ. So if I go to First Peter chapter 2, verse 80, verse 6 and verse 8, it reads, um, verse 6 reads, Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And oh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. So here... Um, Peter has clearly stated, you know, this stone that's being talked about in um, Isaiah 28, verse 16, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes in it will not act hastily. So this cornerstone is Christ. So here in verse 17, this section is where God says judgment for these people will come gradually. So here, verse 17 reads, Also I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The, whole, the hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overflowing scourge passes through when you will be trampled down by it as often as it goes out it will take you for morning by morning it will pass over and by day and by night it will be a terror just to understand the report so here this talks about the great tribulation this covenant will be annulled and will be broken um in that day of the lord so verse 20 goes on to read for the bed is too short to stretch out on and the covering so narrow and that one cannot wrap himself in it. So here God says, um, I'm going to begin by giving you a short bed so um, and a cover that won't be enough. So this is in the day of, um, you know, tribulation. Um, and there will be, and there on will come, the judgment of God. So here, a bed too short, representing the tribulation, the trials that um, those who didn't believe will go through and judgment will come. Judgment of God and it came to them a hundred years later, finally. So we saw the judgment of when the um, you know, chosen people, the God's children were taken into captivity. Judgment did actually come but it came gradually. So here, moving down to chapter 23 to 29, it's a parable of the wheat 
and the tears. Um, and um, he talks about the different kinds of grain. So different kinds of grain require different kinds of threshing. Um, there is hard grain and there is soft grain. So here I'm just going to quickly read through um, from verse 21. Here, for the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perazim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. Now, therefore, do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord of hosts a destruction determined even upon the whole earth. Verse 23 goes on to read, Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? When he is when he has leveled his surface, does he not sow the black cumin uh, and scatter the cumin plant, the wheat in rows, the barley in the appointed places, and the spelt in its place? So there's different types of grain here that is being sown. So verse 26 reads, For he instructs him in right judgment, his God teaches him. Verse 27, For the black cumin is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is it, nor is a cartwheel rolled over the cumin, but the black cumin is beaten out with a stick. So different types of um, seeds are sown differently. You know, the way you sow wheat is not the way you're going to sow um, the cumin seed or or barley it's sown differently so here if we look at you know a hard seed the black cumin is beaten out with a stick so it's sown differently so the day of thrashing the day of harvest the day of the lord is coming the day of judgment is coming and uh, depending on what type of seed that uh, we are today that's the kind of uh, threshing or harvest that's going to be done so bread corn is Bruised. So here, verse 28 reads, Bread flour must be ground, therefore it does not thresh forever. Break it with a cartwheel or crush it with its horsemen. So here we see, half, um, you know, um, it's, 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 it's um, harvested differently. So um, fennel, wheat, barley, and rice, they are all different. And that's how God judges um and the harvest is the judgment. So God will harvest us differently depending on the type of grain that we are. So individual nations will be determined, will determine the judgment to follow. And if you're hard and resist, you are, you know, hard grain judgment will be severe. So here, like verse 29 reads, this also comes from the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. So, judgment will be different for every nation, depending on how hard um, we are. Because here, in Matthew 13, verse 30, um, you know, he will send his angels to gather out all things and they, uh, that they are. So, here, um, if I just go quickly to the book of Matthew. So, Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, it reads... Um, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first 
gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So, you know, the threshing and the harvest is going to be different. So here, um, it shall be, you know, we shall be judged different. You and I will determine the kind of judgment that we get. And um, if we are hard grain or if we are soft grain. So moving on to chapter 29. Um, this here looks at the prophecies concerning Jerusalem. And they let's start with the immediate future and go right down into the kingdom. So first, Jerusalem... It, you know, the first it looks at Jerusalem's history and prophecy uh, all the way to the Gentiles. And second, then it looks at uh, Jerusalem meaning and message as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. Um, you will not leave your house desolate. So third, it looks at Jerusalem, honor and glory. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So verse 1 of chapter 21 reads woe to ariel to ariel the city where david dwelt and year to year let feasts come around so here ariel uh ariel is the city where david dwelt and ariel is jerusalem so the name ariel you know means lion-like and um this is can be explained or seen and explained further in second samuel verse 23 uh, sorry, Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, verse twenty, which reads, um, "Benaiah was the son of Jehoi, Jehoi, Ad, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds, who had killed two lion-like heroes of." Moab, he also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit in, on a snowy day. So here, you know, a lion-like man is an aerial man. So it means the lion of God. It, um, as we can see from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, verse 16, which reads, um, The altar hearth is twelve um cubites long 12 wide square at his four corners so um here in ezekiel the word area is translated as an altar in certain circumstances and it could mean the altar of god and our god is called the lion of the tribe of judah so jerusalem was the place where the temple of god was and the altar was there so it can either um ariel can either mean you know, lion man or the altar of god so this wall is pronounced against jerusalem so prophecy began in um prophecy began is um in israel today um sorry sorry the prophecy began with isaiah and today and it, it's there until today so verse 2 of chapter 29 reads, Yet I will distress Ariel, there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel. So here, uh, verse 2 looks at judgment, the judgment upon Israel. And, you know, this uh, Isaiah prophesied it in his time, 
that you know God's judgment was coming on Israel. You know, and it's 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 gradual. If we go to Jerusalem today, you can actually see it that prophecies um, actually coming to pass. Verse three goes on to read: I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound, and I will raise sedge works against you. So God used, um, you know, tools to actually, um, you know, siege the nation of um, Israel. So here Nebuchadnezzar is yet to come, and he came up, up to the city and destroyed it. So the prophecy came to pass. Um, and then there is... Uh, the time of the Gentiles, which will begin, which which actually began in 606 BC when Jerusalem was destroyed, and um, you know that's like in the Roman in the Roman times, you know the Roman Empire, and the Lord said it will be trodden down by the Gentiles, and you know the final attack upon Jerusalem is God's judgment, and that judgment is actually coming. This is prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. It cannot be questioned because you know. There's nothing more accurate than the Bible. Isaiah prophesied it and it came to pass. And um, he prophesied the far distance prophecies, which are actually coming. You can just tell by going to Jerusalem. So, um, But God will intervene in the end and will deliver his people from extermination. You know, he's not going to destroy all his people and will end... Um, you know, um, the judgment and, uh, you know, he's going to end the dreams of the enemies and um, of them establishing their own kingdom that's anti-God, anti-Christ. And God will establish his kingdom and come down and reign. So this is today's teaching. Thank you all for listening in. Have a pleasant Monday. God bless and bye-bye.